These are the funniest people I know. These are the funniest people I know. Said improv riffing, callers some sketches, characters and interviews, and then some more sketches. Now these are the funniest people you know. Now these are the funniest people you know. Now these are the funniest. These are the funniest. These are the funniest. These are the funniest people I know. Hello, world, and welcome to the Funniest People I Know podcast and radio show. My name is Will Amato. I'm in the studio with two of the funniest people I know. Hey! What's up? Why did it sound like my voice was cracking? It sounded like Peter Brady there. Like, hi! It's like, is George going to puberty? Yeah, I know, right? Finally. All my friends had it at 13. I'm 40. Such a late bloomer. (laughs) We've got prepubescent George here in the studio today. Hi, guys! (laughs) We have often remarked on this show... That we're living in the best of times. I yes. think so. Mm-hmm. Services are easy to obtain. You can have an Amazon package delivered in a day. Mm-hmm. You can get any food basically at any time of day. Mm-hmm. This is true. And now, a salon in New York City has taken humanity a step further. Is that what it's done? The secret to beauty, a stranger's hand inside your mouth. Oh, what? A Brooklyn salon is offering a new kind of massage that is a facial massage Mm -hmm. where effectively someone pretends your face is Play-Doh. They put their fingers in your mouth and kind of give you a stretch and tuck on your face. This cannot continue in this hyper germophobic culture we have this month. The people are putting their hands in other people's mouths, right? Like, we're not supposed to touch our face, let alone the insides of other people's mouths. Right. That's a great point. It's a terrible time to start offering this treatment. Yeah. It did say, like, Miss Lindsay, who was the esthetician that this article was about, uses gloves. But still, I just cringed the whole time. Have you ever felt like the inside of your face needs a massage? Oh, no. my God. Will is showing us a picture, and it's like someone is stretching out it looks like torture they've got their hands in this woman's mouth and they're stretching her mouth as big as possible i'm so uncomfortable we'll have to post this online you know if you needed a mouth stretch you should just go to the dentist yeah that's what they do they put that thing in your mouth that like opens you up real wide when i read the article they also tagged i think her name is jemima kirk Mm. she played jessa on girls and she had visited this esthetician and had received these services and she's like in the video she's like this is gonna make me like beautiful right and the lady's like, you know, of course, like, she's an esthetician. She has vibes. So she's mm. like, yes, of course. Like, it's all, you know, sensual. Well, yeah, soothing. That's that's the word. You know, you've, like, been sitting on the bus, and you look at the woman across from you. And she's all, like, got stank face. And you're like, you know what she needs? It's just a like, real good inside of her cheek massage. Like, <laughs> that, that is what this person is missing. Otherwise, they'd be real cute. I want to read the beginning of this New York Times mm-hmm. article by Katie Weaver, which is so funny. Barring admission to medical school or catastrophic injury, most of us will go our whole lives without much contemplating the grisly framework that enables and constrains our bodily movement. This is for the best. <laughs> it's alarming to understand oneself as a heavy, precarious pile of discrete muscles adhering to bones and skin, performing rote motions with little to no supervision, rather than as a person with ideas. But what if, in exchange for subjecting yourself to that existential reckoning for 285 American dollars plus tip, you could have zhuzhed cheeks and a temporary glow? Would you dare? For an increasing number of Brooklyn residents for whom any price is too small to pay for good service, the answer is a radiant yes. 
Oh my god. How much did you say that was? Two hundred and eighty five American dollars. Why are we wasting our times with real jobs, Alex? Honestly, truly, I need to go get my skills renewed. Mm -hmm. Become a face stretcher. And go get my little loft in New York and set up shop. Sounds like a brilliant plan. (laughs) You could give them for 150 bucks a pop, cut the competition. Right. The result is what the esthetician Carrie Lindsay describes as a non-surgical facelift. No, she's an idiot. In her small, bright Fort Greene salon, she methodically rearranges the clay of her clients' features until they resemble their own almost imperceptibly more attractive evil twin. She achieves this effect by smushing and smooshing and spreading and stretching their faces for upwards of an hour, and then, having donned gloves, rooting around inside their mouths for several minutes. Since he's not here, we find somebody who's doing this in Atlanta, we send TJ, and we video his face massage. Oh my gosh. He wouldn't make it. What if we just tell him we've got him a massage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it turns out that it's that? Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't listen to the show, so he won't know. (laughs) Yeah. Y'all, this will be the best. It's worth $285. I would pay my portion of this. We can get Bonita, who played the fortune teller. (laughs) Just to do it. Because he also doesn't pay attention to people. Right. Have her stretch his face out, and he won't even see it coming. Open your mouth, beloved. (laughs) (laughs) This is happening. Keep an eye out. I'm going to make sure we send TJ to a face massage. Oh, my God. I can't not wait. The benefits of this massage is supposed to open up your lymph nodes or something like that. And that's what's inciting these muscles in your face to have the facelift effect, (laughs) I guess. Was it called Bronchusi Facial? Yeah. Named after this Romanian... We're going to have to take before and after pictures, see if TJ looks younger. The reporter went through it in the article and said she felt and looked younger after. Yes. As a joke yesterday, I was hanging out with my wife and I started just massaging her face. (laughs) It got weird when I got to the eyes. Mm. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Yeah. She's in the hospital now. <laughs> Your hand gestures. Uh, yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> I want to jump right into the writer's room, folks. We have done Writer's Graveyard on this show where we read something early, something that died for a reason. And I'm going to share with you guys what I believe is the first sketch that I ever wrote. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Ooh. Okay. Oh, wow. It also okay. happens to be sort of topical in that everyone, for some reason, is talking about The Bachelor right now. Mm-hmm. And this is a Bachelor parody. That's because the new Bachelorette, did you hear about this, is an old lady. She's 39. <gasps> an old lady. Yeah. Yeah. So it's oh, really God. controversial. Oh, my God. Like, it's like a golden girl, basically. <laughs> Stel Getty is the new Bachelorette. She's at risk for coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, is it Jessica from Love is Blind? Have any of you watched that? Mm, oh, no, my I've missed the Love is Blind. That but... needs to be a, a family funniest people project, but anyway. <laughs> Will's face looks worse than when we were talking about face massages. <laughs> I couldn't even get through an episode of Love is Blind. Oh, it's horrible. You know, there's a wall between them and they can only hear each other's voices to fall in love so they can't see each other. No, I know nothing about it. I That's just... the whole premise of the show. There's, I don't know, ten men, ten women, love and then they keep switching out. Here. Oh. And then I guess eventually they have to get married before they see each other? It's ridiculous. And oh it's my god. great entertainment. I... It's funny because it makes you think of how shows like The Bachelor brought you to this mm. Mm, they seem so tame now. Let's get into this. I would love for Alexandria to read Steve the Bachelor. Yes. And right. host Chris Harrison, who, is he still the host? Uh, I don't know. I don't watch Bachelor. I'm not oh. a 39-year-old woman. You're not Bachelor Monday, <laughs> No, never. George, what are you well, saying? Well, at the time that I wrote this, Chris Harrison was the host. I think I, he still is. I think he yeah. is. Okay. George, if you'll read Chris Harrison, and if there's anyone else, I'll read those characters. This is The Bachelor. Interior. On the set of the reality TV show, The Bachelor, Chris Harrison, the host, is wearing a suit and tie. Steve is The Bachelor. Good evening. I'm Chris Harrison, 
Thank you for tuning in to this three-and-a-half-hour special edition of The Bachelor, a love-or-death situation. The stakes on today's show are higher than ever. Contestants who don't get a rose are no longer put in a limousine and driven back home. We have them murdered. Studies show bachelorettes who don't get picked leave with low self-esteem and are likely to commit suicide anyway, so we thought, let's raise the stakes and end their lives for them. Tonight, Steve the Bachelor will give one lucky woman a chance for redemption, a chance for true love, a chance for life. Let's talk to the Bachelor. Chris Harrison sits on a couch. Steve the Bachelor joins him. Steve, I know this has been an emotional roller coaster for you. We've already sent 17 women to the grave. With just three remaining, how are you feeling? Um, I'm barely keeping it together, Chris. It's going to be really hard to say goodbye to at least one of them. The end game here is for you to fall in love. And in order to do so, we have to execute two more bachelorettes. Each of the remaining three contestants have recorded a special message for you as a last-ditch effort to plead for their lives. Let's take a look. One at a time, the three women step out into the spotlight to deliver their message. Claire is scared for her life. Natasha is an ex-con. Steve, I love you so, 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 so much. We have amazing chemistry. I get butterflies whenever you're around. If you keep me alive, I will give you so many beautiful little babies. I'll learn to cook and clean and bring you breakfast in bed every day. I swear to God I will. You're my knight in shiny armor, and I cannot live without you. <laughs> That's good. You won't. <laughs> Let's talk to Natasha. Steve. I never liked you. You are weak <laughs> like a baby and cry all the time. In fact, spending time with you has made me realize I probably prefer women. <laughs> but I'm not getting any younger and my father wishes me to be married. I also want to have children and your seed is as good as any other. If you don't pick me, my family will come after you. Thank you, Natasha. And our last contestant is Miss Mary Lou Townsend from Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Steve. I feel for you. Being the bachelor is an awful burden to bear. I'm really glad you've kept me around this long. I didn't really know this would be like the Hunger Games when I signed up. I was just hoping to meet a nice guy and fall in love. I want you to know that despite the great number of beautiful women who have perished by your hand, I still really like you. I might even love you. And if you do decide to let me go, I'll be watching over you from heaven. Good luck, Steve. Thanks, Mary Lou. Steve, in this box are two roses. Please pass them out. Steve wanders over to Claire and hands her a rose. She kisses him. He gives the next rose to Natasha, clearly intimidated by her. Steve, Claire, and Natasha head over to the couch and sit together. Mary Lou, it seems like your time is up. On this very special edition of The Bachelor, we'll raise the stakes and have our third place winner end her own life with this rope. <laughs> I accept this rope. I was undeserving of the fairy tale and the white picket fence. Without you in my life, what's the point of living? Goodbye, Steve. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mary Lou grabs the rope, walks behind the curtain, and hangs herself. Oh, my God. <laughs> Until now, Bachelor Steve has gotten to decide which week bachelorettes live and which ones don't. Now it's time to let fate decide. Steve, you said earlier you want a woman willing to fight for your love. We listened. The remaining two women will have to literally beat each other senseless to see which one is worthy of your hand in marriage. Oh, uh, I, I didn't know if it was possible to fall in love with two women at the exact same time. This will be hard to watch. Ladies, 
May the best bachelorette win. The women fight each other Jerry Springer style until Natasha finishes as the clear victor. Natasha has Claire pinned down. Steve, this fight is over, and we have a clear victor. And to raise the stakes, the loser must die by your own hand. Chris hands Steve a large hunting knife. This is for love! Steve walks over to where Natasha has pinned down Claire and stabs her in the chest. Claire convulses, gurgles, and dies quietly in his arms. Natasha says, That was kinda hot. I suppose now we can be together forever. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. The proposal. Natasha, darling, I'm so happy you're the only one remaining and that your family won't hunt me down and kill me. I'm going to treat you like a princess. Tell you every day that you're the only one for me. We're going to live a very happy life together. Will you marry me? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) They share an awkward kiss. Another match made in heaven here on The Bachelor. With your proposal, you shall love Natasha as long as you both shall live. To raise the stakes, so long as you both shall live, ends now. Chris Harrison takes out a pair of pistols, fires, and kills both Steve the Bachelor and Natasha. Oh my god. <laughs> what was this? This is dark as hell. I don't think I'd ever known that you could get this dark, Will. Right, Will. What were you going through yeah. in 2008 I'm or concerned. whatever? Well, New York was very sad for me. Okay. I was so broke. The Bachelor was a show that my ex-girlfriend at the time used to watch, and okay. I would have to see <laughs> You were going through some stuff. And watch, watch it with her. <laughs> Soon after this, I wrote a sketch called One Little Shot in the Dick, which we made <laughs> about male birth control. Okay. Mm. And, you know, the little injection that you can get in your penis for 10 years, you're, you know, oh. sterile. Hmm. And uh, never really took off. <laughs> and I wrote a sequel to that called Grab Him by the Balls and Squeeze. And it was just about this woman kind of abusing this man, effectively. It wasn't funny. And it was about the same kind of person. I think I was really working out. It was really working through that relationship. (laughs) But, you know, it's funny because, obviously, this is the first sketch I ever wrote. There's so much exposition. So much Mm -hmm. long, just pages of Of dialogue. (laughs) Explaining things. Also, I love that. In my mind, I was clearly as the writer trying to raise the stakes. Mm-hmm. So I literally wrote in, in order to raise the stakes. Yeah, you're giving away the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it brings me great joy to see how bad your first writing was. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. You've come a long way. Yeah, though. yeah, you definitely have. Thanks, guys. That was the writer's graveyard. Let's Thank put you. that one back in the graveyard and never speak yeah. of it again. We're going to keep that one uh, under wrap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's headed in that direction anyway. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. We're going to turn a new page in the Funniest People I Know book club. Yay! <laughs> Kevin Bobley, my friend from school, sent me this great story, Even Tree Nymphs Get the Blues. And we read a segment of that. I want to just catch us up, and then we're going to hear from Alex a brand new chapter of this wonderful story. Ingrid Asher, you'll remember, is a mystical tree nymph who never gains an ounce, despite how much ice cream she ingests. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She left the Norwegian fairy forest to live in New York City, where she discovered ice cream. At the top of the story, she's on a bus heading to Mystic Bayou, Louisiana, mm-hmm. where she's planning to start her own creamery. She's famous for being a milkmaid model on billboards all across America. Mm-hmm. She's on a Greyhound heading for Louisiana, and she's just arriving in Louisiana where we pick up our story. What a premise. <laughs> <laughs> Louisiana was like some strange alien world. The landscape shifting seamlessly 
from scrubby farmland to marshy swamp, and what felt like an instant. From behind the wheel, the driver called out, Ten minutes until the devil's armpit stop. (laughs) (laughs) I want to visit there. Sounds lovely. Sounds hot. (laughs) That did not sound promising. The stop was actually an abandoned gas station with a single rusted pump. The heat here was like a living thing, wrapping her in a wet, uninvited embrace that stank of rotten eggs and just plain rot. <laughs> oh, God. Can we talk about the writing there? Yeah, rotten eggs and plain rot. Could we just have stopped at rotten eggs? Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. we got it. Like Tree Nymph's editor. <laughs> Dear Molly Harper, we're going to need you to strike that line. Also, it gets less descriptive. Yeah. The shirt was red and plaid and also a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the president makes lists. He gets actually right. more vague as he goes down the sequence. Uh. It didn't surprise Ingrid that she was the only person exiting the bus at the devil's armpit. <laughs> <laughs> Take that as a warning, Ingrid. Turn around. But the aging driver seemed annoyed that he had to dig through the storage compartment for her tiny duffel bag. <laughs> she had a reasonable amount of clothing, her sapling and her cookbook, that was all she needed. Sapling, a cookbook, and a few shirts. And just a few shirts. I know. That's all I've ever needed to survive in this world. <laughs> Sapling keeps her alive. It's like the, the rose and Beauty and, and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. As long as it's alive, she's alive. I got you. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> she took a deep breath and walked into the oak, letting the bark take her in like warm bath water. Wait, she exits from the Greyhound bus and just walks into a tree. Into a tree. Like a mystical willow. <laughs> sure, did, does, her, does her little duffel bag go into the tree, too? I assume. Okay, wow, this is fascinating. Is this a mystical bus stop? Does it always go to magical places? I don't know if the place is magical or she just is. Oh. <gasps> she gets off the bus and walks into a tree. Walks into a tree. That's, <laughs> that's, that's and no one, no one at the Greyhound station will think anything of that. <laughs> I want to do a writer's exercise where the joke is, so a nymph walked into a tree. <laughs> and we have to write ten punchlines. <laughs> <laughs> she gasped allowing herself to connect to the oak, to feel her energy slipping into the roots that threaded through the earth and the limbs that stretched toward the sky. The joy of it was almost painful, and then it stopped as quickly as it began, and she fell to her knees on slick, sharp magnolia leaves. Ow! (laughs) (laughs) I've never found leaves to be sharp. But more know? slippery, really, a magnolia. Yeah. Now, no, leaves can be slippery. Mm-hmm. Like, ah. when, at least down here in humidity central. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. She'd forgotten how nauseating tree travel could be. <laughs> you didn't. It's called a bus. <laughs> right. This is too much. All living things in the forest were connected, but trees of all species shared a special bond cemented by their root systems. <laughs> Maybe rooted in their root systems? I hate this <laughs> Le- so Rather than much. cemented? Cemented is not a good adjective. <laughs> a nymph could slip through them like a thought through the nervous system. It came in handy when you wanted to visit far-flung relatives or escape a particularly amorous human. But it always left Ingrid feeling like she swallowed a gnome's toenails clipping. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, why the bus? 
<laughs> why not save the oh, fair? I There's never trees that. in New York, Ingrid. Why, why didn't she travel by tree through Central Park? Yeah, just, so right. yeah it's like I know she could have saved some buses. Hours, hours of a drive, too. Didn't they just say you can visit relatives in far-flung, far-flung places? <laughs> it's already contradicting itself. Also, I don't like the fact that it used gnome's toenails clippings as, like, swallow a gnome's toenail clippings. I don't know what that's like. That's not... That's a, that's not I don't know that, that type everyone of pain. Can identify yeah, I mean, with. in Canada, they drink cocktails with a toe in it. So it's got to be at least as bad as that. Yeah. Can you read that sentence again? But it always left Ingrid feeling like... She'd swallowed a gnome's toenail clipping. <laughs> you know how that is. So somehow, like in Harry Potter, when they go into the fireplace, I guess traveling by tree is tough on the body. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's what it's we're original. supposed to gather. I love that plot hole. That's huge. <laughs> it's huge. It's that's, huge. That's the entire first 25 pages <laughs> of the book. And we just like, well, gonna cut that out. Oh, my gosh. Scaling the gently rolling hill up to the old farmhouse, she surveyed her new home with a contented sigh. <sighs> that doesn't sound contentive. <laughs> that like, sounds like, I gotta put all these groceries away in yeah. this house. Is I know, a gotta pack up, unpack this whole bag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is your ice cream empire. This is the land upon mm, which you'll okay. cement your future. I think I was feeling the weight of the travel through oh, the trees, yeah, yeah. but let me, let me. Oh, out. she's still got a gnome's toenail clippings you in her know, stomach. I'm, I'm feeling that in my throat. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> that's that's more questioning. That was uh, better. Uh, okay, okay. One that was a mix try. of content and gnomes toenails. Yeah, and I'm just like, where am I? <laughs> I feel like you would be disoriented. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like rotten eggs and rotten here. <laughs> <laughs> With her dairy paychecks, she purchased Sweet Grass Farm, a property as far as she could get from the water. It was no mean feat in a parish named for its enormous, all-encompassing bayou. The house was closer to town than she would have preferred in her old life, but now that she knew about conveniences like restaurants and shoe stores, (laughs) she was grateful for it. Tree nymphs did not learn how to drive. At one point, Sweetgrass had been a vegetable farm, long abandoned by a family of rabbit shifters. <laughs> What's a rabbit? I don't know. I should look it up. I don't know. It sounds dangerous. Like smuggling you know, rabbits? I don't like shifty rabbits. We just referenced travel again. 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 Also, she's like, oh, I need to be close to a shoe store. They have trees near shoe stores. <laughs> yeah, you think you can just pop in an oak and be at Payless. Yeah, you know? yeah. I feel like her travel means could be so simple, and she's just not taking advantage maybe, of her powers. Maybe because she doesn't like the tree thing because of the toenails. That's oh, true. If you felt really tree. queasy, you'd only use it in emergency, right? Yeah. In yeah. An, what did she say? Amorous? I don't know if that's the correct use of the word amorous. Doesn't amorous mean with love? Yeah, well, maybe it's, like, creepy. Like, she's oh. trying to escape Joe Biden hugging her from behind. <laughs> <laughs> I see. It's her Me Too escape. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> During negotiations, her realtor has sent Ingrid old photos of pumpkins the size of smart cars and ears of corn the length of a grown man's leg. What? <laughs> I don't like it. Nope. <laughs> I think there's magical produce on Sweetgrass Farm from the rabbit shifters. Okay, we'll go with that. Sure. <laughs> pumpkins the size of smart cars, like Cinderella. Right. Oh, my you know, goodness. That's not that big. It's pretty big. It I'm is. just saying, Charlize Theron can fit in a smart car, right? That's a pumpkin at least big enough for right. Charlize Theron to fit inside it's of it. It's a carriage-sized pumpkin. Why would you go with Charlize Theron? 
Chris Pratt is so tall. I, uh, yeah, remember that movie, The Italian Job, and she's in that little tiny smart car. Oh, so yeah. I've always imagined like it has to be big enough to fit a Charlize <laughs> Theron. That's uh, great. Okay, pumpkin. I, I can picture it. And smart cars are kind of round, and you know. No, it's it's a terrible, terrible simile. <laughs> okay. Ingrid hoped that fertile earth would mean sleek, happy milk cows for her. The house had been added onto multiple times over the years. Because rabbit shifters expanded their families like, well, rabbits. No, no. <laughs> Most obvious joke in the world. Oh, my God. <laughs> Those rabbits are doing it like rabbits. <laughs> it was far more house than she needed, really. But she thought she could use the extra space for storage or even at home ice cream laboratory. <laughs> kitchen. It's called the kitchen. <laughs> no, it's a sweet grass ice cream laboratory. Love it. She closed her eyes and let the smell of sweet grass soothe her. She could feel the energy from La Fay. The mystical energy rift that called her here in the first place, whispering in her ear like a lover. La Fay. <laughs> We're whispering in people's ears like lovers right now. Oh, sneaky. <laughs> Welcome to Mystic Bayou. <laughs> That's also your Joe Biden impression. <laughs> she yelled, bolting up from the ground at the sight of a man in an extremely tight black T-shirt standing over her. He stood several inches taller than her not exactly petite frame, and his hands were the size of shovel blades. <laughs> shovel blades? <laughs> what type of big mutant ass hand? <laughs> like this, this slender giant tiger paw hand. I do man, not. Which just appears out of nowhere. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, even in a tall man, those are disproportionate. Yeah, it's large. like way too big. Run, <laughs> run, you hide in a tree. Ingrid ghosts. He had thick, widely curling black hair pulled back at his neck with a leather tie and a matching beard that spread across his enormous chest. Did the tie and the beard match? <laughs> or his hair and his beard match? I think all three, like it was a Everything? set. Everything? Oh, it's a set. The, the tie, the hair, the beard, it all matches. I would never say his brown shirt was the same color as his hair. <laughs> I would never write He's that. very coordinated. <laughs> I hate this writer. Sorry. No disrespect. No disrespect. Hashtag you're published. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she does have more books out than we do. Right? This has sold a lot of copies and there are several volumes. Oh, I can't wait. He grinned at her with his sharp teeth and stretched those enormous hands toward her. The alarm skittering across her brain caused the instinct she hadn't used in years to flex. The branches of a nearby willow tree whipped sharply across the man's face, making him yelp. <laughs> Windmill and fall backwards on the grass. Just <laughs> got smacked by a tree. Out of nowhere, that would scare the hell out of anybody. <laughs> but it's just... Whoa. Okay. <clears throat> the willow sent branches snaking around the man's feet, dragging him across the grass and yanking him up by the ankle. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> he bellowed as he dangled upside down, his head scraping against the ground. Who are you? Ingrid asked. I'm Mayor Zed Barron. I'm here to welcome you to Mystic Bayou. <laughs> Mayor Zed Barron. <laughs>
And that's it. And that's all we get. Yes. We've met the mayor. Oh my god, the mayor. The mayor is frightening. Yeah. Move. Move immediately. You move into a new town. Okay, PSA. You move into a small town. The first person you meet is this giant tiger pod man whose hair and beard match his shirt. <laughs> and you just, just leave. Just climb into the closest oak tree you can find and just go elsewhere. <laughs> I agree. Alex, great work. Folks, we will have another segment of this. I can't get enough of this book. Oh, yeah, this is coming back. we got a great segment coming up for you folks. My friend Sean Kennedy is on the line. He is the self-proclaimed Hispanic Larry David. <laughs> What's about to happen? Let's talk to him. How you doing, Sean? Intrigued. <laughs> you know, I'm doing pretty well. I'm glad I gave you that extra $20 for that great intro. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay people to say nice things about you, huh? what I've been doing for all my life, you know. The X-20 does go a long way when seeing your mom to say the same, same things about you, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Mr. Kennedy, you are in my grad school class. We're taking a feature writing class. And you came into class on the very first day, and you made the best entrance I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. Oh, I had to hear this. Oh, well, um, wow. <laughs> pressure, right? No pressure on that one. It was my first class in grad school. It's very quiet. No one knows each other. We're not that comfortable yet. And about 10, 15 minutes in, we're just listening to the professor talk about the syllabus and the policies. And all of a sudden, like a waiter with too many tables, he <laughs> bursts in through the double doors in an impeccable suit. You have this amazingly tailored beard. And you sit right in the middle of the room, and when it was your time to introduce yourself, you know, a fact about you, where you're from, you stood up and you addressed the class like a politician. You started by saying, you know, class, professor, I apologize for my tardiness. And I was just so impressed with you. I thought, you know, that guy is a leader. That guy's going to go places. I want to be friends with this guy. Let me tell you the backstory. <laughs> That's that, not crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I do is I'm a mental health advocate in the black and Latino community. The event that I came from was another nonprofit organization that I work with called Building Homes for Heroes. And what they do is they gift disabled veterans and their families mortgage-free homes. And so I literally just came from getting a check for $80,000, which I don't know if you know, when they give you those big publishers clearinghouse checks, like, you <laughs> yeah. really can't take that to the bank, I've um, you know, been told. So it doesn't fit in the ATM. Imagine trying to take a big check and say, hey, can I deposit this? And tellers looking at you like you're crazy. But anyway... I had emailed the, uh, uh, we won't even mention her name, uh, just because I want to make sure I continue to get my A in the class. <laughs> um, yeah, she's a big fan of the show, I'm sure. You never know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened was I emailed her the week before and I said, hey, you know, I have a professional obligation. There's an overscheduling issue. I just want to let you know I'm going to be tardy for your first day of class. Unfortunately, it's something that's beyond my control. And her email literally was, is this going to be a problem because we have an attendance policy? <laughs> oh, girl. <laughs> mm. I have to appreciate her bluntness, mm -hmm. but that's what foreshadowed the grand entrance. <laughs> that is so, such yeah. great context to have. If I were introducing myself to Alexandria, I'd say, oh, Alexandria, do you go by Alex or Mrs. Mm -hmm. Sweat, whatever? Is that her nickname? For real? <laughs> no, that's her real name. That's my real last Sweat, name. Like perspiration. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like Keith Sweat. Oh. Okay. You can hear the shade. Oh, okay, I got you. Well, yeah, nobody likes Megan Keith, you know. I mean, yeah. We got to get you in the studio in person someday, my friend. I want you to meet the crew. When she goes around to introduce 
everybody and ask what their preferred name is. You said, my name is Rashawn Kennedy. And she says, how would you like to be called? And you said, Mr. Kennedy. And she said, oh, yeah, no, I know that. But but how would you like to be referenced? And you said, Mr. Kennedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And for that reason, you've always just been Mr. Kennedy in my head. I just think it's so fun. It's a great name. Fellow comedians, the problem is when you have two smart people and they're trying to outsmart each other and be snarky but not snarky, yeah. that itself is worth the price of admissions. Mm-hmm. As you can recognize now throughout the course, it's like a mental warfare between me and her. So <laughs> pay attention. <laughs> it's great. I want to know why you're the Hispanic Larry David, because you're an opinionated fellow in a way that I find refreshing. Well, you know, my best friend gave me that uh, moniker only because of very eccentric. And so I'll always tell you, like Richard Pryor would say, you know, if you got money and you do some idiosyncratic things, you're eccentric. But if you don't have money and do some idiosyncratic things, you're crazy. That's right. Yeah. Based on my, you know, ability to pay my own bills as a grown up that I am, I'm now considered eccentric. (laughs) But it's not my fault, I promise you. It's usually other homo sapiens that like trigger me. So until the aliens take over, I have to just mingle with the other homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. So. Other homo sapiens are always the problem. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Give me an example of a homo sapien that gets under your skin. Other than our illustrious professor. Um, <laughs> the homo sapien, every time I go to like Walmart or like Target, which for the record, I'm more of a Target person than a Walmart Come person. On. But that's mm-hmm. just me being bougie. There's no more human beings at checkout anymore. It's very weird. You have to go to the little self-checkout. And so now the self-checkout will, like, you know, basically scream at you. And I don't appreciate that. You don't know me. I don't know you. you know, I'm trying to get the thing in the bag as quickly as possible. But it's like, you know, the camera doesn't recognize that I already put it in the bag. Then you've got a security looking at me. And usually the person that comes to help me in this whole debate thing with the computer is not the nicest of people. Uh huh. So it's almost like the human version of what the robot is. Which is <laughs> so, okay. you know, uh-huh. Stuff like that will just trigger me. And so then I'll just have like very interesting conversations with both the computer and the human. I'm with you. It's weird to call you Sean. I don't know if I can do it. I'm with you, Mr. Kennedy, mm-hmm. because I was in the store and it said something like 2514. And I suddenly felt self-conscious. Like, well, I don't need everybody to know how much I'm spending. I always <laughs> mute that thing. Yeah, you can mute well, it. I mean, you know, they're gonna. That's just shaming you. What's worse is now they have the bag shamers. I don't know if you've seen those. What's a you bag shamer? Bag, people that come with their cloth mm-hmm. bags woven by some nonprofit that now is giving <laughs> jobs to some migrant worker in Mexico, and you have to support the bag company because the eight dollars you spent on that cloth bag will go to whatever. Uh-huh. If you come to Target without one, because you can't do it at a Walmart. Nobody cares. You just mm-hmm. whatever. They will bag shame you like, oh, so you're doing plastic? Like, <laughs> yep, I am. That's bag shaming. So it's the same thing, right? Now yeah. you know how much money I spent, and I'm also using a plastic bag, so I'm just the worst human ever. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you walk out with uh, an unsatisfactory feeling, right? Yeah, and they put you to work. Exactly, right? That's what I thought. A lady friend put me onto like this little, like, loose, is, what is it called? It's, it's the sponge for like your shower gel. What, uh, uh, like loofah? a loofah? Yeah, Puerto Rican, like, we just say wash rag. What's the wash rag, right? But this loofah thing, like, it's got me really fascinated because I don't know how I feel about that either. I'm like, wait a minute. Do you've known this all your life and you're just now telling me about this thing? And it's like, you put soap on it. 
but it's a sponge thing, right? Like, no, yeah. no. It's, it's like plane. sitting in like my shower and I'm just looking at it like, I don't know. After the first time, if it gets any better. So I'll just let it, let not use it anymore. Or you know? <laughs> <laughs> that is a tough, uh, a tough thing to get used to. I'm with you. It doesn't quite feel like it really gets in there like a wash rag, does it? It's in yeah, there. like, well, what is it? It's like this origami thing that you put gel and stuff on and then use that on your body. I'm just like, what is this? It's like, what else do I not know about human existence? <laughs> I think it's supposed to help exfoliate or help with getting the extra dead skin off. I think that's the advantage of using the loofah. Oh, see, kudos, Miss Sweat, kudos. <laughs> uh, I exfoliate. What does that mean? Get rid of the dead skin? Is that what that means? Something Get like that. Uh, fancy word for like buffing of your skin, so to speak. A sweeping of the dust from your <laughs> flesh. A buffing of skin. Okay. Yeah. But then, so if you don't exfoliate and you use lotion, then it's almost like waxing dead skin and trapping the dead skin on the skin then, huh? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. It's like a dead skin casserole. You're just <laughs> layering. We might be on to something over here, people. We might be on to something here. You know, we've got to now spread the gospel of the loofer. You know, <laughs> I don't like calling it a loofer. <laughs> I think that's the title of your uh, next novel, The Gospel of the Loofer. Hey, man, I'm still skeptical of it, though. You know, I see it, but I don't know. You know, I look at it, looks at me sometimes. I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes. Sean, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I sense a slight regional dialect somewhere in your speech pattern. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm from the north. Not the South, S-U-F, South. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't hold it against me. Below the wall. I am John Snow right now, and I'm I'm not even at the top of the wall, I guess. I guess New York City is like the other side of the wall, depending on which candidate you talk to these days, you know? <laughs> right, so, right. So yeah. you're uh, born and raised, what part of the city? I was born and raised in the Bronx. Wow. So, yes. Yeah. It's always funny because when I got to the military, I said, yeah, Bronx already trained me. All you got to do is maintain what they already trained me for. <laughs> <laughs> Your boot camp happened in the Bronx. When I got to the military, it was like, what, what worse can you do to me? <laughs> <laughs> what was it like growing up in the Bronx? I grew up through the crack epidemic 80s where on any given day, if you had $10 in your pocket, any kind of merchandise would come up the block. So <laughs> new TV, somebody's clothing items. Maybe you don't wear the same clothing size, but, you know, you just never know. It was a wild time. Um, and this was before they cleaned up Times Square when I used to go to Manhattan and go to the Kung Fu movies up there on 42nd Street. And okay. So that was like a journey onto itself. Before everything was cleaned up and nice and pretty, it was it was really gritty out there. So, yeah, But the Bronx was great. I mean, you know, it was a really good melting pot. I, I grew up around pretty much every ethnic group you can think of. I've grown up around Irish, Italian, Dominican, Puerto Rican, everything else people who didn't know what they were right like I'm confused, <laughs> you know, so. but it was great you know wouldn't trade it for the world good deal man well we have that in common because i lived in new york for a little while and uh, i know you're a proud new yorker that's right well i got a couple of questions right. i want to ask you about mr kennedy is a hot dog a sandwich yes it is a sandwich thank now, you hear, hear me out if you look at the definition of a sandwich it is two pieces of bread and meat how is that not a hot dog that's all I'm like, saying. Like, yeah, you eat it vertically, I guess, but still, or horizontally or whatever, but still, think about it, right? Like, two mm. pieces of bread, meat. Hmm? To the argument that a sandwich is something in between two pieces of bread, 
technically mm-hmm. a bun is one piece of bread that's been split. And if we're going to go off of technicalities, we're not. I feel like we need to put that out there. It is not two separate pieces of bread. It is one piece of bread. It's not like even a hamburger bun, which is if it was a hamburger bun, I would give you that. But a hot dog bun is like a long hoagie bun that's just split in the middle. It always ends up tearing into two pieces. When you get bread, it doesn't naturally come out of its cocoon slice. Thank right? you. It's just one thing until it's sliced. <laughs> so how is that any different? Point for Kennedy. Mm. I do mm. get what you're saying. Yeah, how... we have to recalibrate the argument. You know. You're trying to throw me off my game here. <laughs> oh, all that kid's shoe tuition has done something for me. <laughs> All I'm saying is, when you look at the... Now you have to think about that. Well, she's like, I got to reformulate this. Oh, like, Mr. Kitty, I'm going to have to give you back the will because check I my, have to reformulate um... my comeback to that. So, <laughs> <laughs> got Someone got told. I still stand by the fact that the bun is one piece of bread. And if you're eating rough, then it splits into two. <laughs> eating rough? <laughs> yeah. Or buy cheap buns. Mind you, you know, New York City is the home of the dirty dog, right? Mm-hmm. It's what makes dirty dog, like, what, what's the hot dog what you is taste it? better? Okay. Which is why I'm not pescatarian and have been for a while, <laughs> just so you know. But I will say this. Well, what can you if say? You, so if you mistakenly, so if you mistakenly split the bun, then that makes it okay to be called a sandwich. But if it's one piece, it's still a hot dog, mm. in your opinion. I say it's still. Not a sandwich. It's still just a hot dog bun, and it just dismantled by default. You're wrong. You're just wrong. All right. How about this? What if we took the bun, mm-hmm. split it in two, it took the hot dog, and split it in the middle, and smushed it down? That would still be a sandwich. <laughs> it would be mess. like a bologna sandwich. Right. I just feel like now things are just getting nasty, and I want no parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, vegan dogs are pretty good. I mean, you know, there's okay. always one of those at every barbecue, right? Are there? Not my barbecues, but sure. <laughs> well, I have like a special grill, like for all of like the vegetables and stuff. People will look at me and they'll, they'll, they think I'm Jewish first. They're like, what is this? Why do you have a different what do you <laughs> grill? I'm like, because like this is like vegetable stuff and this is like meat stuff. You they know, look at me like, Mr. You know, Kennedy. of course, like my Jewish friends. Oh, you could be Jewish for real. You could be kosher if you want. Like, yeah, I guess I could, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I could eat halal, but I don't, food. right? Yeah, exactly. They used, well, see, I don't know. I think there's prayers involved with that one, so it's out of my jurisdiction, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely liked that you were implementing some they say, I say techniques in that yeah, argument, right. you know. You really understood Alex's argument before you tried to advance it with your own. So I do think that grad school is paying off, buddy. Hey, look, by the time you graduate, man, they won't know what to do with you well. They might have to put you out. You might have to get your own podcast. Like, yeah, he's just not too smart for us. We got to. Well, Mr. Kennedy, I want to thank you for calling into the show. I hope you'll come back yes, and sir. join us in the future. Definitely. Yeah, yeah always a pleasure. This has been fun. Love you guys. We love you too, buddy. I'm getting a resounding uh, we love him here in the studio. So thanks for doing this, man. You're making me cry. Thank you all. <laughs> bye. Right, bye-bye. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Funniest People I Know podcast and radio show. 
We are so happy to be doing this show, and thank you so much for tuning in, folks. Tell a friend about the show. You know, we used to make jokes in the beginning that no one was listening to this show, but the amazing thing is so many people are. Yeah, that's what's fascinating to me. Yeah. And that's why we show up here every week to do a new show for you all, because we're grateful that you're listening, and we thank you for your engagement. Yes. So, folks, tell a friend about the show. We're going to keep doing our star funny people comedy thing here at the Georgia Radio Reading Service. Have yourself a hilarious week. Bye.